We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, April 25th. Nick Whalen here with DJ Trainer. DJ, we are knee deep in round one of the NBA playoffs. We have two series over uh, with Golden State emphatically sweeping the Portland Trailblazers in Portland last night. Uh, we're going to cover all those series. We won't talk too much about Cavs Pacers. Not much to say about that, obviously. Um, but first, happy 41st birthday to Tim Duncan. Kind of snuck up on us. Apparently, he was at Spurs practice yet again, just spending his 41st birthday as as one does as a voluntary uh, player at, at practice. Um, we haven't talked since what last week, Thursday. Yeah, I was gonna say it's never been more important than to give the date that we're recording this on a podcast yes. because the last time we recorded the uh, NBA playoff landscape was a whole lot different. We yep. had already jumped to some conclusions about Brad the Stevens Celtics. was gonna get fired. Right, the Hawks yeah. were done. <laughs> Clipper, yeah, I mean, Clippers were going to Bucks were skirt rolling. to. Any, yeah, exactly. So uh, a lot more for us to get into. And then guess what? In about three days, all of that could change on its head again, and then we'll probably have to have another podcast. Yeah. Let's do it. 
Yeah. Um, well, I want to start before we get into all this with with a couple of news items. Uh, one of them being extremely pertinent, and that is um, that I watched the episode of Bill Nye the Science Guy last night, in which Diamond Stone of the Los Angeles Clippers makes an appearance. So I had heard about this a couple months back. Um, some Clippers writers tweeted, you know, it was kind of out of the middle of nowhere. It was like, you know, Bill Nye is relaunching kind of a spinoff of his previous show, uh, you know, one of the greatest shows in TV history. Diving Stone is going to be on an episode. And I was like, that's, I mean, if, if they're a more random guy to choose at this point, uh, obviously the show films in LA, I would assume. And they were just like, all right, who wants to do this? All right, nobody, Diamond, you have to do it. Uh, but I watched it. It was kind of weird. It was an, a, the part of the episode that Diamond Stone appeared on was about gravity. So a little kid who was like eight years old basically got suspended on a wire to illustrate like the difference between earth gravity and moon gravity. And he used said like it was like a trapeze wire type of thing, you know, that's you know attached to his back. And he basically just used that to dunk over Diamond Stone on a 10 foot hoop. And that was that, like, that was literally it. There was not really like a lesson involved or anything. It was just diamond stone getting dunked on. He was on screen for about 45 seconds. They introduced him as NBA superstar from the Los Angeles Clippers, diamond stone. He got huge applause, kind of felt bad for the people in the audience who thought he was a superstar. Um, but I just wanted to get that out there. It was, it was strange and it was one of the weirdest cameos that you'll probably ever see. It sounds like it was a traumatic experience for you. So I I feel like I might dip into it, but I really need to prepare myself mentally. Uh, most importantly, uh, by the way, NBA superstar played in seven games, averaged 3.4 minutes was spent a good point of the, uh, good majority of the season. Nice try Bill Nye trying to pass that one off. Like Uh, nobody would notice. Well, you know what? Bill Nye's audience probably would not notice. Um, at -hmm. least his audience today. Um, more important than anything, what a slap in the face to Bryce Johnson. You know, not right. getting the nod over Diamond Stone. It really shows mm-hmm. Bryce's future in L.A. that it, you know, it's yeah. probably going to be short. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that came to mind when I was watching this is, <laughs> you know, Blake's a free agent. Chris Paul's sure. a free agent. Are they ready to turn it over? You have a superstar in waiting, allegedly, in Diamond Stone. You know, maybe he's the guy. The other thing I want to touch on before we get into the games, this NBA award show. So... You know, we had talked about a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about MVP, you know, when it was going to get announced. Usually it's, you know, midway through like the second round, um, you know, around like May 12th, 13th, 14th. This year it's going to be June 26th. So after the NBA draft, obviously after the finals, it's four days after the draft. It's on a Monday night. It's going to be in New York City. It's a big event, big production that's going to be hosted by Drake. Drake is a rapper, DJ. He's a famous rapper from Toronto. Um, so it sounds cool. I, I really like the idea. I think if they can generate enough interest that a lot of the players show up and you get some celebrities there and you do, you know, kind of like an ESPYs type of thing where it's, you know, you're not just handing out awards. There's maybe some sketches or some sort of performances, blah, blah, blah. I think that would be cool. I just don't love the date. I don't, I don't trust one. I don't trust that these awards aren't going to leak. Like they definitely are. Right. Uh, and two, it's just a long time from now. Like that's, that's more than two months. From right now until we officially find out who wins the MVP. They're going to leak, and here's why. Because the NBA is going to want the winners of the award to be prepared to have an accept- acceptance speech. You know, you may have some backlash about some players not wanting to attend, but if they're going to win the award, obviously the NBA is going to strongly encourage the winners to attend this event. So I feel like it could go all in where you have the winners 
the app, you know, the uh, nominated players and then like their teammates too. Or it could be like nobody wants to shows up, show up for this thing. It's essentially treated like the NFL Pro Bowl where, you know, people are already in their uh, offseason form, going on vacations, don't want to show up. But it's going to leak because the NBA is going to have to notify the winners. And then when you notify a player, you notify their camp, right? And usually their entourage or their camp, whatever you want to say, um, there's like, you know, 8, 10, 15, depending, you know, Allen Iverson, there's 50. And of course, that's going to leak to Adrian Wojnarowski or something like that. You know, most importantly, though, it's gonna, it's just going to make for like a sad awards because there's only going to be one group of players that are happy, whoever wins the championship. Um, and, and, and more what I'm seeing, though, interestingly enough about this MVP race, because that's the most importantly, most important uh, award given out, of course, is that people all of a sudden after they submitted their votes really got entrenched with whoever they picked. But right before everyone had to submit their votes, it was, wow, this is a tough decision. I'm going to hold on to my ballot until the very last day I have. Um, and then all of a sudden, like, everyone is strictly hardened, strictly Russell Westbrook. And I don't know, have you noticed this as well, where, you know, these opinions have gotten a lot more, uh, you know, entrenched. And before everyone had to submit their votes, it seemed like everyone was open to hearing arguments. That is not the case anymore. You're either a hardened guy, you're a Westbrook guy, or you were the one smart enough now after watching the playoffs to go with Kawhi Leonard right I, I think the other thing too is like we already know Westbrook's gonna win I, I think it was uh like the site Wait, the, the dream it, shake are you um, sure um well I mean they've they basically contacted it was an SB Nation blog and I think it's called the dream shake it's a, a Rockets blog that basically contacted a large sample of the reporters and they were able to you know gather who everyone voted for it's I mean it was kind of like a presidential election where they call it with like 30% of precincts reporting gotcha. or whatever, you know. So yeah. they were basically like, it would be wildly unlikely that Harden wins mm-hmm. it based on the data we have. So like everyone knows, I think it's going to be Westbrook at this point, which is fine. Um, I think it's just a tough spot for the NBA. Like ideally you could have this ceremony, you know, maybe like right at the end of the regular season before the playoffs. But then, you know, it kind of creates this issue where like you hand the MVP to Westbrook and then a week later he's bounced from the playoffs. But if you wait this long, it's like, all right, now we're waiting too long. But at the same time, you know, I think I'm assuming that like the champions are going to be honored in some way at this thing, you know? So it's like, it's kind of pick your poison. Like there's no perfect date to do it. You can't do it in the middle of the playoffs before the playoffs is too soon after the playoffs is, I guess what makes the most sense. But I I think players are going to go right. I think, the NBA, I don't know if they can require players to go to this. I would assume not. But the fact that Drake is involved, that they're, I mean, they've announced it two months in advance. Mm-hmm. I th- it's, they're going to make it a big enough deal that I think the players will want to go, sure. ideally. I mean, that's that's the point, right, is this is going to be an annual thing. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be cool. Um, it, it To me, it's better than just like, you. I mean, how does it usually announce now? AP like releases a press release or the NBA releases a press yeah. release at like one in the afternoon on a Tuesday and it's just like, oh, right. all right, sure enough. Like there's no real way to present these awards, you know, with any sort of suspense right now. I think last year it was just the NBA picked a string of like six days. And at the same time, right. each of those days, it was like 1 p.m. in the afternoon. But there was no per- like real announcement. It just kind of leaked out, you know? Well, I think the NBA put out an official announcement each right. day. But then like you had your ESPN, your Yahoo jump yeah. in like 30 minutes before it actually happened. Right. So. Well, I mean, there wasn't like a televised thing. Oh, where, right, right. You know, this, this at least creates a little bit of a show around it. But here's the thing. If you're James Harden and you've gotten word from everybody that you didn't win the MVP, 
do you really want to show up to this event like a sucker? Like maybe you got bounced in the playoffs by the Spurs in the second round or got trounced by the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals right. by 4-0 and you didn't win the MVP? Do you, are you really going to show up and look like a sucker, not get the MVP right. just to appease the NBA? I, I don't think you are. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting because, like I said, you know, it's the 26th is basically a week and a half, I think, after the finals can end. Like if this would, if this was taking place last year, would the Warriors have lost Game 7 on their home floor, blown a 3-1 lead, and then shown up to this <laughs> awards banquet a week and a half later? Like, it's right. a tough sell, but at least they're trying something. You know, I think it's, yeah. it's going to be a work in progress. I'm sure something will go, a lot of things will go right. A, a couple of things will probably go wrong, and they'll tweak it for next year. So here would be my pie-in-the-sky proposal, is that what you would do is you give all the playoff teams a week off in between the regular season and the playoffs. You have this award show at some point during that week. Also during this week, you have a playoff for all the lottery teams. The winner of that playoff gets the first pick and they fall in line. So, you know, merging some of these grand topics that we've talked about over the last couple of years. You don't like that, that How, tournament I mean, like, of losers the that they like, have? Yeah, there's, it's not equal. That's the thing. It's like, wouldn't the Nuggets just roll through that? Exactly. And, and they should be deserving of the number one overall no. pick because... No, they shouldn't. They don't need it because as much we don't as the other like. Teams. Nobody likes tanking. Nobody, nobody likes perpetually no, bad like, teams. This would this would combat the tanking issue. It would give us this cool little tournament uh, with a week. It would give all the playoffs team a week off, and then we could have this award show. I mean, it would it would be awesome. I, I mean, it'd what be, are the, it'd be so arguably are the best other, week the in team, NBA? The teams that did make the playoffs just supposed to sit tight for a month and or like two months and then just play this tournament. No, 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 no. This, sorry, this is happening right after the regular season. Oh. So all the all the teams okay. that make That's the playoffs get a week off. The teams that did not make the playoffs, they have this tournament. Yep. The winner gets the first pick and so on, backtrack, all that good stuff. And so you have this week where playoff teams get off. You do the award ceremony. Lottery teams, what essentially the teams that don't make the playoffs, have this tournament. Yeah, I think Bill Simmons is kind of theorize something what is the tournament of chaos or like most something entertaining like tournament yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't, it's not the worst idea i mean like every lottery idea you can you can find a lot of strengths and you can find some pretty glaring weaknesses too i, th- I think if you could they're not introducing other areas of the nba that we've had big topics about like when to have this award show come on right. I, it's a two I, I mean i don't think they like the lottery thing is a much bigger deal than this award show um i think I think you could do that if you somehow segregated, you know, so you have 16 teams that don't make the playoffs, maybe like two brackets where like if you win the the quote unquote good team bracket. So if you're like, you know, team number 15 through, uh, you know, I don't know what, what's the math on that, like 22, sure. you know, so the winner of like that bracket. So like, you know, the Nuggets, the T-Wolves, the Pistons are in there, the Heat are in there, like maybe like the winner of that is guaranteed like a top four pick or something. And then the winner of like the really bad team bracket, you know, decides the top the top few because like otherwise the, the teams like Denver is Denver is so much better than Brooklyn exactly so much better they than should Phoenix. Get, they they should, they should, why should they be rewarded for that? Because they're actually trying hard. They made a they made a concerted effort to go for the. I think playoffs. Brooklyn tried hard. I don't think they could do anything. I mean, the, like you can't just keep punishing them. And obviously, they don't even get their pick. But yeah, you know, it's, I know. You, and like, you, how would that affect the Celtics then? But from an entertainment entertainment perspective i mean you would love to watch oh, this of course it'd be right? great i think i just i think i would just like to like him to do it as like an nit where there's no and real that, incentive just play it well and and on top of that i mean that's more money for the nba to make we don't have to get into this too much further there's lots of good playoff basketball to talk but yeah we, i think it makes sense from i think it makes sense from a dollars standpoint yeah, I, too. eventually they're gonna do something I, I think in 10 years we won't 
we won't just have you know random team representatives sitting up at a podium looking dumbfounded on national tv <laughs> all right uh, i just want to go in order with how i have these games so we're going to start with oh actually last note on that all nba teams are going to be announced earlier as they should be because contracts contracts yeah. so i don't i don't know exactly when they're going to be announced but it'll be because teams need to know about this before the draft obviously that's the right. biggest thing so I'm, I'm assuming you know at least a week before the draft you would think we'll find out the all nba teams Celtics Bulls. Last time we talked, Celtics were uh, down 0-2. Rajon Rondo was coming off of an incredible game two. And then on Friday, we found out that he had been playing through a thumb injury that apparently worsened quite a bit in game two. He has not played since. The Bulls have been blown out in both of those games. It it literally has been night and day. You know, I, I really wanted to buy into the Rondo narrative through two games, you know, that he was the difference maker. And it was, you know, it really was him kind of getting in Boston's head and, and playing so well defensively and knowing their schemes. And it, it kind of seems like that's the case. I mean, sure. obviously the Celtics have made adjustments. Gerald Green has started the last two games. Isaiah Thomas has been better. But they haven't played all that well. It's not like it's not like they've had these great shooting performances. Smart and Crowder have both struggled quite a bit. Uh, you know, Horford was better in game four, but he hasn't been spectacular by any means. The Bulls have just looked totally lost um they they don't have a point guard i mean jerry and grant started game four i think he played only six minutes right uh, isaiah cannon is getting those isaiah minutes he, he's playing 34 minutes issue with him is that he traditionally over the course of his nba career has been more of a shooting guard the issue with him is he's not good too well yeah that's well they don't have any good point like, where's so. cameron Payne? this is what i don't understand obvious so here's the big thing in my mind is it that he's truly not ready and that ends up resulting in the trade that they made for McDermott and Gibson being a bad trade? Or is it Hoiberg thinking that Cameron Payne is not ready? Um, but, you know, I don't know if it's a coaching I mean, issue or if not, it's truly campaign. It's clearly campaign. I, I think, I mean, look at the other options. It's, I mean, they clearly they don't want to play Jerry Grant. Michael Carter Williams got punked by Isaiah Thomas on a number of occasions the other night. Um, you know, they basically have to play Butler or Wade on the ball, and they did that a lot in the second half. Um, I mean, Isaiah Cannon, what did he play? 34 minutes 34. in game four. Hadn't even played 30 minutes at any point in the season since the preseason. He was basically a DMP guy for half the year. He's only 25. He, he already has like a peak Raymond Felton body going. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, like, it, the, the other options are so bad that, like, this is more of an indictment on campaign. You know, like how okay. bad is campaign that like he can't even crack this rotation right now? The Bulls just look, it's it's crazy. They did, when they're not hitting shots, it's like the talent discrepancy is so huge. Man, Joffrey Lavernier on Sunday, I don't know if you were able to watch that, was out there for way too long, mm-hmm. was completely overmatched. Um, and I mean, all of a sudden now, it just seems like Boston is completely in the driver's seat, even though it's only 2-2. So I, I think that the trade actually helped Hoiberg and really the whole coaching staff um, and the personnel that was left over really kind of lock in, right? So you take away all these options and the ability to tinker with the power forward spot. So instead of trying to figure out should be McDermott, Gibson, or, or Miritich, it is Miritich. Like that's all you can really go with. And I think mentally, from a player's perspective, you know, Miritich knows that he's going to be the guy. He's not going to get yanked out. There's no fear. Like he's going to be in the game no matter what, no matter how bad he is. Right. But I, I think that helps from a certain perspective now when you start pulling guys from the lineup like rondo then then that gets in trouble but i I do think that sometimes thinning out 
helps you quite a bit because it allows everybody to have a centralized focus. And also when you're scheming, you know, there's less, less options. And maybe with a coach like Fred Hoiberg, it's, it's better to have less options and just roll out what you have. Now, obviously, I think the loss of Rondo, Rondo could perhaps be even more mental for the Bulls where they felt like they captured lightning in a bottle with him playing so well. And maybe not even so much as play on the court, but they just felt like they had momentum that obviously is, is gone in a way. But um, I, I it, it's weird that Boston is in the driver's seat. It's still two two. I'm not giving up on Chicago yet. That said, I just don't know. Here's here's the thing: is that like Butler could take over a game, and, and Wade could chip in to the point where they they could win two out of the next three. It could still happen. While I'm fully willing to admit that Boston has the momentum. Jimmy Butler's the best player on the court, and I think that Dwayne Wade could give 20 minutes where he is the best player on the court. Not a full game, but at least 20 minutes worth. Wade was really, really rough in Game 4. He was. Really bad, um, as washed as he's looked in a while. Butler, I mean, Game 2 was kind of Butler's big game. He hasn't he's struggled quite a bit since then. He, he played all right in the second half, but they, they need him to honestly just you know use like 50% of the possessions in the second half when he's in there. I think he's being a little too passive. I think, you know, like Nikola Miritich was as much as I think that the Bulls are better with him spacing the floor just because, you know, when you have Wade and, and Butler who aren't great shooters, you just kind of need that by default. Like mm-hmm. some of the shots he was taking, you know, three feet behind the three point line with 17 seconds on the shot clock, things like things like that. I mean, it's just wasted possessions. And like if you're Jimmy Butler, you get you just got to say, like, I would rather have me attempt, you know, an 18 yeah. foot fadeaway than. Lavernier contested that, from five feet. I that mean, the Paul George wasted. mentality or the Russell Westbrook right. mentality. It, that, but yes, that's just, they, he, they need that. I mean, Wade has not given them anything. He's been really bad on D as well. I, it's, I mean, it has to be more Butler. I think when Rondo was running the show, Butler was able to take a little bit of a step back. Yeah. But especially without Rondo, they need that. Not only on the offensive end, like he needs to have a couple pivotal moments. And, and I'm probably exaggerating too much when I say he needs to have a moment like LeBron with the block or even KD last year or two years ago when he had like double blocks and then, you know, pass it forward on transi- in transition against the Warriors. You know, there just needs to be a couple of remarkable plays where that really swing the momentum by Jimmy Butler on both ends of the court. And he's fully capable of that. You know, he's had a couple games or he had a game where he had four steals and two blocks, but you know, he needs to feel ownership of this entire series on both ends of the court. Now I'm willing to admit that's incredibly hard to do when his usage rate is so high on both ends of the court, because he ends up being the guy that has to take on Isaiah Thomas because it sure as heck can't be Isaiah Cannon and it sure as heck can't be Dwayne Wade. So while I want, while we both want Jimmy Butler to step up, like you only have so much left in the tank when you're playing as hard as he has to. Yeah, bad sign for the Bulls is that the Celtics have won these last two games while still shooting really poorly yeah. from three. Isaiah, I think, was one of nine on Sunday. Thomas, Bradley, Crowder, and Rogier together were three of twenty-one from three in Game Four, and it was really never all that close. You know, the Bulls made a, a couple of spirited runs where they got it down to five or six but you never really felt like it was out of control um and that's not a good sign because I think eventually that Celtic shooting is going to come around you know Crowder and Smart can only brick so many wide open corner threes one would think (laughs) um but yeah I I think Celtics in six all of a sudden I I never necessarily thought that the Bulls would just run away with the series um but I mean it, it really does seem like the Rondo injury sucked a lot of the life out of what was they were so like spirited in those first two games too i mean the bench was into it 
I think they really thought like we're going to punk these guys like the Celtics aren't all that good and like when Rondo went out it seems they just lost that confidence yeah momentum is real especially in a seven game series but here's the thing it can be recaptured by Dwayne Wade going out there and hitting his first five shots in a row and then all of a sudden things you know switch on a dime and everybody feels energized but um, you know, I know Wade has played really poorly, but I, I'm telling you, I, I'm waiting for him to come out and have a game. I know you keep shaking your I, head. But, he's just not good. But he's not good anymore. We know he's capable. We know he, he knows what it takes. Capable. Okay. All right, Cavs Pacers quick. Um, Cavs defense was still bad again. I mean, this was basically the same story in Game Four as it's been, where they they played just well enough to win. They swept a series with the following things happening Kyrie Irving shot 42% from the field and went 7 of 32 from three Kyrie was a net minus 16 in the four games Kyrie also led the team in usage at about 36% which is crazy high Kevin Love shot 42% from two-point range and Kevin Love also had one of his five worst games probably ever in game four against Indiana um why were they able to win because LeBron finished the series with averages of 32 10 nine three steals two blocks 54 percent shooting 45 percent three-point shooting yeah i mean no surprises here um maybe he exerted himself a little too hard throughout this series but guess what when you win 4-0 and the other series that you're going to have to play seems like it's headed for seven games then you, you allow yourself to rest so so you know they really push instead of you know took their foot off the gas pedal um and it makes a lot of sense they're they're chilling on their couches right now and just watching that toronto milwaukee series resting up no surprises here nick i mean the pacers ended up being the seven seed but they just as easily a couple made shots here by miami or, or you know vice versa missed shots from the pacers mm-hmm. and indiana wouldn't even been a playoff team they, they were not surprising or, or not not even surprising they weren't um they didn't show any signs of encouragement at any point during the regular season so on goes Cleveland Um, I really don't think that they're going to have much trouble with Toronto or Milwaukee you can talk about the way they match up and I know your eyebrows are raising but come on here Cleveland is hitting their full stride Kyrie looks good Kyrie looks bad what do you I mean I just Kyrie was terrible in the series I know he was terrible in this series but I mean he's still taking a little bit of ownership it's not like he's fading into the shadows like we're starting to see him rev the engine and he really doesn't need to get you know fully caught up to speed until the the true the finals and so I'm not worried about it the fact that we're seeing some involvement in him taking you know more shots I like it I I think things are headed in the right direction I think offensively the Cavs look great I think for as as on and off as Kevin Love was in the series and as on and off as Kyrie was in the series the Cavs offense is really good the bench came around that's not an issue, but defensively, I mean, I, I watched almost every minute of the series, and Kyrie looked he sh- bad. He shot forty-two percent and averaged twenty-five points per game. Forty-two percent—that's not good at all. You need Kyrie. You need him for a point guard that, yes. with his style of play, bad yes. for Kyrie Irving would be in the thirties. I think if you're going to take forty-two percent no. from him, you're going to you're going to take it more often you, than not. The Cavs, the way the Cavs play defense, they can't afford Kyrie Irving shooting like that. That's what I'm saying. Like, okay. When you're playing, when you're, you know, arguably the worst defender at your position in the playoffs, you can't, you know, you have to be bringing it offensively. And I know, but it's just too early. In, Kyrie shot forty-eight percent from the field in the, the playoffs p- last year. Okay, and that was a big reason that they were able to overcome it. He shot twenty-two percent from three in the series. Shot forty-four percent from three for the playoffs last year. Like they need that Kyrie to show up. Yeah, and they've got lots of time. Right. To, yeah. And luckily, they played the Pacers, who have one good player. Um, who do the Cavs want to play in round two? Bucks or Raptors? I think the Raptors. I I would be afraid of Giannis, just the Giannis factor. Yeah, 
I, I don't know. I, I think the I think they would rather play the Raptors. I think they think they can whoop the Raptors pretty easily, and mm-hmm. history says they probably should and will. Um, but I mean, you watch this Bucks team a couple times, and like you know, you shut down Giannis, you have nothing to worry about really with Milwaukee. Whereas yeah. with Toronto, there's just more options that can hurt you. You know, like with Milwaukee, there's two maybe three guys who you like really have to worry about, and like we can't you know we can't let Greg Monroe have his way in the paint we can't let Middleton get hot we can't obviously let Giannis play well with the Raptors it's like okay we can focus all this energy on slowing down Lowry and DeRozan there's still Ibaka there's PJ Tucker who's such a good defender easy now their bench is much better than Milwaukee's like I think the Bucks would would present some interesting matchup problems but they're just not they're top to bottom the Raptors are the much better team right like nobody's really debating that no I I 100% agree with that and, and you brought up some good points here's the thing is that there's just so much baggage that Toronto will be carrying into this series with Cleveland right so we already had Lowry and DeRozan get off to slow starts like they're just kind of in their own heads also just the fact that they cannot get over the hump they have never been able to get over the hump you know mentally they're just starting with a disadvantage whereas Milwaukee would be playing with house money Giannis is coming into his own as one of the best players in the NBA and I would imagine Milwaukee would be playing more free-spirited so just from a baggage momentum house money perspective I think Cleveland um, mentally would rather play Toronto all that said fully willing to admit that Toronto has the far better personnel sometimes it doesn't matter when you mentally already feel like you you lost a series before you started I think Cleveland would would sweep Milwaukee easily if Milwaukee and we'll we'll transition this now into Bucks Raptors if the Bucks defend you know the primary ball handlers the way that they're doing with Lowry and DeRozan right now um the amount of open threes that Toronto got, especially in game four, is, is something that's, I mean, the Bucks gave up the most corner threes of any team in the league this season during the regular season. Um, like Cleveland would just feast on that all day. And luckily the Raptors haven't shot the ball all that well in the series, but they did in game four. Norman Powell had four threes. Um, you know, I tweeted a link to a video earlier today um, of Chris Middleton just completely abandoning Damari Carroll mm-hmm. in the corner to go double DeMar DeRozan, who had already picked up his dribble and was being defended perfectly perfectly well by Tony Snell at the free throw line. Just a place you almost never see a double like that. And, <laughs> and Carroll's like, wide literally just like, all the way around Snell's him. Snell's all over him. And it's like, yeah, I get you know, DeRozan of all people can hit that shot. And he, and he has a number of times. Like it's, you know, you can kind of see it. And I think that's the scheme. But, you know, a team like Cleveland carves that up every time. So, I think the Bucks missed a huge opportunity to win in Game Four. Um, yes, yes, yes. That yes. that was a very deflating loss. Um, I, I ran some some very cherry picked numbers on that uh, just to see like the probability of Toronto winning a game where I thought Toronto played really poorly and Milwaukee played even worse. Uh, but since 2000, teams are 110 and 369 when they shoot 42 percent or less from the floor, make five or fewer threes. Um, and also lose the re- and also lose the rebounding battle, hundred and ten and three sixty nine. So twenty five percent of the sorry. time. I always mess these up when I when I try to be cool and like throw out <laughs> fancy stats. I always read them wrong. <laughs> so teams are one hundred and ten and three sixty nine when they only shoot less than forty two percent and make five or few three. So points. they're winning tw- uh, roughly twenty five percent of the games that they yeah. do that. You lose if you're the Raptors. You so the Raptors did both of those things. If you're the Raptors, seventy seven percent of the time you lose that game. Your chances of losing drop to eighty eight percent when you shoot less than 42% from the floor, make five or fewer threes, and also lose the rebounding battle. So teams since 2000 are 30 and 216 in the playoffs. When those three things happen, 
the Raptors won by double digits. They're the only team in the history of the NBA playoffs to meet those three criteria and lose and win by double digits. Guess what? That's how bad Milwaukee was. Well, you know, that's made possible by the fact that Milwaukee has two rookies on the court for the majority of the game. And then the other guy that's on the court that probably shouldn't be is Tony Snell. And granted, he's been what? good. But, you know, this is all made possible by an inexperienced Bucks team that, based on paper, shouldn't even be in this position necessarily, right? So, I mean, it's you, not terribly You can't slander surprising. Tony Snell like that. He has been Milwaukee's second best player. By a pretty good right market. for yeah for the last five games, but come on, we have eighty two games plus everything that he, he played. Forty one percent from three on the year. I mean, he. Wow. I, I will. I will say he snuck up on people, but he's been good. Number one, Tony Snell fan fanboy over here. He's but good. no, he's I, make I a agree. lot of money this summer. Yeah, that's funny. He so he's like the Bismack Biombo yes. uh, candidate for this year. No, I totally agree. Here's the thing: Cleveland's going to smash Milwaukee. They're going to smash Toronto. It just doesn't matter. Cleveland's going to roll. I love the fact that Milwaukee is playing above their heads right now, and I can't wait to see a, a young team with their backs against the wall, and we really get to see what they're made of here in Game 6 um, against Toronto, an established team that needs to take care of business, but let's be honest, you know, they... You know, they'd be fine heading back to a Game 7 in Toronto where they you know, would feel, yeah. feel more comfortable. So I'm excited that we get to test the metal uh, of Milwaukee. Other than that, I mean, like I'm already penciling Cleveland in for the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, and part of the reason for that is the team that through the first few days of the playoffs looked like it was maybe playing the best on both ends in the East was Washington. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden now that one's 2-2. Two, two. It's I like mean, a home-and-home home series. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been odd. I mean, Washington looked like I, – I mean, I think I said on the pod last week that they were, they were just going to sweep through this. And they got nothing from anyone other than John Wall in Game 3. Wall was fine in Game 4. wasn't great. Um, and the Hawks kind of led that one, you know, almost wire to wire as well. So the series seems to have swung on Markeith Morris calling out Paul Millsap. Uh, <laughs> not a great idea. Um, it's just been a weird series. Like Dennis Schroeder got into it with John Wall and then apparently asked John Wall if he wanted to work out together in the offseason the following day. There's very just a lot of bizarre things going on behind the scenes uh, in this series, but. I still think the Wizards win it. Maybe it goes to seven. The Hawks have, have showed more resilience than I thought they had in them in these last two games. But I, I think Washington going back home takes game three or takes game five and goes up three two. Yeah, I don't even feel comfortable making a prediction um, because we've seen Washington play varying basketball over the course of the regular season, where they came off just started the season just unbearable. And then they, you know, were a streaky team, if you will, and finished the end of the season really well. Um, but again, this is not necessarily an established team. They have a brand new coach in St- Scotty Brooks, who, for whatever reason, has the worst track record of having his two best players on whatever team he's coaching for, whether it's the Thunder or the Wizards, having his two best players on the bench at the same time. It just doesn't make any sense to have John Wall and Brad Beal on the bench, especially when your you know reserve options for Washington are so poor, or you know at the very least they can't create for themselves you know Bogdanovich isn't going to go out there uh you know take the ball and, and do anything with it he needs to he needs some space created for him all this is to say is that you know everybody was ready to pencil in Washington but they have never proved anything right with this uh this conglomeration of the players they have has never done anything so I'm not ready to say that they even have the upper hand because Atlanta on paper still has just as good of players as Washington does so right now for me this is a home and home series Series. Washington does have home court advantage, so I guess I'll give the edge to them. Um, but, you know, I'll wait until I see the rest of the series. 
Yeah, I like what I saw from Dwight Howard last night, um, which is something I often say and not many other people often say because <laughs> nobody likes Dwight anymore. Uh, he was he was bad though in, in game in uh, I forget which game it was three or four. He was really rough. Um, it must have been three. Um, but you know, I think you know when, when he's a factor, it, it's very easy to forget like how dominant he can be and his level his like ceiling for being dominant now is so much different than it was even like three years ago Uh, but if he's given you 16 and 15 and altering shots in the lane um you know helping to hold like Markeith Morris was three of 10 Gortat was just one of four in 35 minutes like that's huge and you know the Hawks don't really have another guy who remotely protects the rim anywhere near as well as Howard does I mean Millsap does a good job for his size but he's just not the same type of defender um, so when Dwight gets going, I, I mean, Washington doesn't necessarily have an answer. They're probably going to get Mahimi back, according to Mahimi himself, later in the series. It's not going to be game five. could be six or seven. Um, but, yeah, this one's all of a sudden kind of interesting. I mean, it, it's still one that I think if I ranked the series one through eight in terms of interest, it would be number eight. Um, <laughs> just because, like, the Hawks specifically I find really unwatchable. Yeah. But they've they've made it a better series, so credit to them. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. It is <laughs> – for whatever reason, it's a classic 4-5 matchup, back and forth, but it just doesn't have the fanfare that uh, these other matchups do. So let's move on to uh, another one of those matchups. Yeah, let's do Warriors-Blazers quick. As the both of us begin to like sweat through our clothing, we we are blessed in the Rotowire office. Maybe it's just me. I shouldn't speak for you. Uh, to have the air conditioning being replaced this uh, this week. So the studio specifically that we are in mm-hmm. i think james told me earlier today they measured it at 88 degrees and it feels about 88 degrees if, if not hotter right now some people do hot yoga some people do hot podcasts. hot podcasts yeah um so warriors blazers i watched the first quarter of this one last night and turned it off and started watching other things well guess what that, this whole over. series has been like that no I, no it hasn't though that's yes, the thing like the blazers have started out really well in two of these games now by yes. but by the second half like it's it's almost unwashable and i i it's just the play has been kind of lackadaisical you know i've i've proposed the question to you is it possible that the warriors could be playing too loose and no. it's it's entirely all right right now against portland obviously it was they won the series but when you're facing these tougher matchups, I, I, I feel like you need to rein it in just a little bit or you might get into some trouble if you're playing too loose. We don't need to rehash the whole I mean, what, what was too back. loose about them playing last night? They had 10 turnovers. Well, yeah, I, not last night, but over the course of the series, it, it seems like you know maybe they're just too lax days ago. But guess what? If I'm going to afford the luxury to Cleveland, where they've got a couple of series to get in gear, then I, I need to do the same for the Warriors. So you know we'll see. I, I, I want to see just stiffer competition against the Warriors, and who doesn't? Because it's it's a bit laughable right now. Do I think the Clippers are going to give that to them or the Jazz? Even no, I really don't because these are these teams are shells of themselves um, from what we saw in the regular season. And so, you know, kind of hoping for that Houston Warriors matchup and and we'll see if the Warriors have kind of reined things in or like you say, Nick, maybe they don't even need to kind of concentrate more. That's all I'm asking a I, little bit. I, I, th- I don't think we should take anything away from Portland. Like, I mean, how many teams in the East would you, do you think Portland would beat in round one? Like they would they would at least give the Wizards a really good series. Right. And the Wizards Nurkic or no Nurkic. Because uh, there's no, a couple even, teams even that no could, Nurkic. I mean, Nurkic played in Game Three. I don't know if you watched that one, but he did right. not look good. I, I yeah. almost like felt like he shouldn't have been out there. 
Well, um, with Nurkic, I think you know the argument you're making is is fine. Where you know maybe they could go out there and beat Washington and Atlanta, but I mean, without Nurkic, their front court is just really rough. And I think some of those Eastern Conference teams could actually take advantage of a poor front. Yeah. Poor well, I, I just mean court, like we so. shouldn't. I think we should just say the Warriors are this good. Like yes. it's not like the, yeah, the Blazers yeah. put up uh, the best fight that they could. Right. Of course. And I think the Blazers aren't a bad team. I think the Warriors. There's only like three teams that even give the Warriors any kind of trouble. Yeah. Um. I don't even have that much to say about this. Let's either. just go with like who do the, who if you're the Warriors, who do you want to play now? So the Jazz were one and two against Golden State in the regular season. Hill, Hayward, and Hood all sat out the first loss. Favors and Hill both sat out the second loss. And then the Jazz won, I think it was like the second last game of the regular season without Hayward and Hood, but Golden State didn't have Clay. They didn't they didn't play Durant and Curry full minutes. So like we really haven't seen a full on battle between either of these teams. But you know, even with Golden State at full strength for two of those three and, and the Jazz at full strength for really none of those three, they were able to hold Golden State to 106 points or fewer in all three of those games, which doesn't sound like that big of an accomplishment. But when we're talking about the Warriors who average, you know, I mean, what did they even average this year? A hell of a lot more than 106. <laughs> um, you know, that that's that's something. So they've they averaged 116 a game. So basically, they've held them to 10 points below their season average. For that reason, I think they want to play the Clippers, and there's probably some other reasons they want to play the Clippers, who are you know banged up right now. The Clippers have lost ten straight games to Golden State. They've lost each of the last five games to Golden State by at least ten points. Have not won against the Warriors since Christmas Day of 2014. Yeah, obviously the answer is the Clippers. If Blake if Blake Griffin was fully healthy, I think the answer would be the Jazz because you know the Clippers just would have nothing left to lose. And so while you can give all those stats over and over, uh, there is something mentally freeing about you know let's just go out there and give it our best shot. And there's literally no expectations right. from a Clippers perspective. Well, the Jazz have more guys they can throw at Golden State, but the Clippers and would have the two best players if right. you stacked up the Clippers and the Jazz. Exactly. You know, like. And you can, you can just always go back to, you know, do you want to go up against the best players or do you want to go up against the best roster top to bottom? I don't know. I mean, it's not going to matter. It right? doesn't matter. And that's why it, it's tough. It's uh, I, I think now, obviously, Warriors want to play the Clippers, but I would argue mm-hmm. that with Blake Griffin, it'd be the other way around. doesn't really matter. Um, they're going to be not only tuckered out, but just overmatched yeah. by a Warriors team that can beat you in a multiplicity of ways. So. Warriors beat whoever they face in at least five games. No I, problems I at think all. That, I think I'm still standing by my 16 and 0 in the playoffs thing. Okay, if, unless Cleveland could get the defense together, and like Houston hasn't looked all that good. San Antonio, <laughs> which we'll get to in a second, has not looked all that good. Well, let's get to Houston OKC. Okay, sure. So Houston wins Game Four. Harden struggles. He was banged up with the ankle. Never really looked like himself. Nene goes off. What was he 12 of 12 from the field? Yeah. I think off the bench. Um, the big thing for me, though, at least with, with Houston, if you want to find something really positive, is that they've gotten nothing out of Ryan Anderson. They're still up 3-1. Harden, Harden's played well in two of those games, really well, but he still hasn't had like a, whoa, like this guy's the for sure the MVP type of game. Like Kawhi had one of those in game four. They still lost. Dealing with an ankle issue, though. Yeah, that's right. the thing. It's like you're still up 3-1. Like mm-hmm. I think for the Rockets, with Ryan Anderson being 3 of 21, with Gordon being on and off, with Harden not being, you know, 100% Harden, to be up 3-1 is fine. So I, I think you can kind of take that as a positive. So here's the thing. You know, we like to read a lot into this matchup, and I think a lot of people made it out to be 50-50 when it really wasn't at all. And I think both the Thunder and the Rockets knew that too going into this series. So I don't think we're seeing 100% of what the Rockets have to offer. That seems like an understatement. 
But I think that's somewhat intentional because they don't need to go full bore and go all out crazy because I, I, I just think they knew they were going to win this series, whereas a lot of us wanted to say, you know, it, it's up for grabs. And so I think that just like the Cavs and maybe even like the Warriors, you know, they're kind of revving up the engine here for when it's really yeah. going to matter. So I'm not going to read too much into Ryan Anderson not, not playing well. I'm not going to read too much into Harden, especially because of the injury, but mostly because I think that this series was more lopsided from the onset than a lot of people are willing to admit. I, I don't think that the Rockets are taking it lightly or like not trying the hardest. I think they they just have a conservative game. It plan. just doesn't make sense. If if you're going to make a playoff push, you're just not going to concert a ton of energy, um, you know, in games one, two, three, four, or even five of a first round matchup when there are bigger fish to fry. When you all know that you're going to get the job done. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think we want to question their effort. I think they're just they're no, so just, focused on stopping rust that it like dis- yeah. it disrupts a little bit of like their normal sure. flow. Yeah, but no, then I, they're still able to win. Like they're grinding out games in ways that the Rockets don't really grind out games. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's going to change, you know, in round two. Tonight. OKC can possibly have its season ended. It's game five. Travis Scott's performing before the game. There's going to be dollar beers in Houston. They're making a very obvious effort to get fans there on time. Apparently that's been an issue. Mm -hmm. So what happens if OKC loses? The Thunder really don't have much roster flexibility outside of trades. Taj Gibson comes off the books. Collison comes off the books. But those are, you know, Gibson I don't think they ever saw as a long-term guy. Collison they probably bring back on a vet minimum deal. Basically, they have to run it back unless they make some trades. You can maybe add a couple ancillary pieces. You got you to make a decision on a Robertson extension. But, I mean, the other bigger elephant in the room is that Russ can now opt out after next season. So we go into right. next year with the whole cloud hanging over this team of, you know, what happens if it's kind of like this again where it's a one-man show? Does he pick up the player option? Does he flee for greener pastures? Um, so I think that's going to add a new dynamic, you know, something that we really won't have to think about until like January of next year, but it's going to be a story. Two things about that. I've been saying all season long that this is an entertainment industry and that regardless of how bad or how good you are, you're fielding 41 home games and you're hoping that you draw a crowd, make some money, right? So even if you don't make the playoffs, you're still trying to make some money. Having Russell Westbrook and company um, you know, playing 41 games at home and over the course of the regular season makes sense, especially from you know, a media perspective. They're still getting lots of love around around the nation and around the world, even though they're going to be a first round and out team, right? So there's something to be said for running this team back. You don't have to start from square run every single time. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, I think the objective, the very, very clear objective is to get Russell Westbrook some bona fide three-point shooters because we really haven't seen what this offense and Russell Westbrook can achieve until there are legitimate threats around the arc. Um, and, you know, you can say, oh, what about Abrinas? You know, he's unproven. I don't think you, anyone's you saying that. Right. And so, like, well, people are wanting to, you know, compare the the rosters of, of Houston and Oklahoma City, but you can't because, guess what? If Russell Westbrook had Ryan Anderson and, and Eric Gordon hanging out around the perimeter, suddenly not only does the lane you know get a little bit more clear um, but those guys that he's passing to when he does dish it out are going to have a way better chance of making their three-point shots and so I really think that the you know the Thunder owe it to Russ to get like multiple 
legitimate three-point shooters, and I'm not talking about Doug McDermott out there on the court with him, and I think this could be a better overall team, run it back, and then let Russ decide. But I've said over the last three years, Nick, you know, we saw this coming. The Thunder could be the worst team in the NBA for a span of five to seven years in the smallest, one of the smallest markets in the NBA very soon after Russ leaves. And it's going to be one of these teams that we just perpetually say, well, small market, they have to do it through the draft. It took the Thunder multiple years, like four or five years before they were fighting for relevancy in the Western Conference, even with, you know, three of the best players in the NBA on the upswing. So I think we're, as a Thunder fan, I say, we're not far from the Thunder being one of the worst teams in the NBA and one of the smallest markets, which could get pretty dicey when Seattle still looms or, you know, just, you know, other things loom. So that's my take. If only they would have dipped into the luxury tax back in 2013. Yeah, let's not rehash that. I don't, obviously things have worked out pretty well for Harden, but yeah, I just don't even want to. I, don't was, even I was just looking into that with James yesterday. I guess it was yeah. summer of 2012, but they were not very far apart on that contract. All right, Spurs Grizzlies real quick. Kawhi was awesome in game four. Everything pointed to him leading this you know, kind of crazy comeback and capping it off. He hit a, a bunch of crazy shots in the fourth, basically when no one else for San Antonio was doing anything on offense, and then had a look that would have won it and airballed what was a pretty good one-on-one you know, opportunity, a shot that he makes about a, maybe an 18-footer from the top of the key. Game goes to overtime, continues to be back and forth. Marcus Gasol hits a, a running game winner from around the foul line. All of a sudden, this one's 2-2. You know, I wouldn't bet against San Antonio, but the warning signs that we always talk about with San yeah. Antonio being yeah. Ginobili's getting up there, Parker's getting up there, like they are flashing brighter than ever right now. Ginobili does not have a field goal or a point in this series. He's 0-15 from the field, no free throw attempts. Tony Parker has been really good in one game, pretty good in another, kind of good in another, and then horrible in game three. Danny Green was four of five from three in game three. He's 0 of 12 in the other three games. I mean, without Kawhi being a superhero, this series is probably a little bit uglier even for San Antonio. What's funny is that this series has allowed people who voted for Kawhi MVP to come out loud and proud. So while like Kawhi will probably finish third, his supporters seem to be the loudest right now across NBA media because, you know, we're looking up and down this roster and it's like, wow, they how did they win this many games? How are they the two seed in this Western Conference? All that yada yada. But you're right. I mean it's it's we we've had it not long ago. Have the Spurs been bounced prematurely early and it's just kind of what they have to deal with, and when you have a team that that's old, that's this old, uh, <laughs> it's just it's it's just what's going to happen. If Lamarcus Aldridge is your is your second best player, I mean, we have to remember that he himself is thirty one years old, which is, you know, for a player of his ilk, a six eleven two forty guy, you know, that thirty one year olds who are six eleven two forty have probably already reached their prime. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think for the, we've seen examples, I guess, of both. I mean, you know, Carl Malone made like seven all-star games after he turned 31. Uh, although, you know, no one has really been able to match that kind of production. So I mean, I wouldn't say, I, I think LaMarcus is more, is looking more washed up this year than he should be. Um, you know, I mean, he was an all-star last year was, I mean, no one was even talking about him remotely as an all-star this year, which I think kind of says a lot. His production is is as bad as it's been since his you know second year in the league, um, and all of a sudden like that contract, which was you know such a triumphant signing for San Antonio two years ago, it's like all of a sudden 
do you really want two more years on the books of, of LaMarcus Aldridge? Uh, so that's, that's kind of something that nobody has really talked about, but he's not been great. And oh. it's been an issue because he's not a good defender. He's not a great passer. And then you're pairing him in that front court with, you know, Dwayne Dedman, who's only played like 30 minutes in the series and, and Gasol and Lee, who we, you know, we know about their limitations. So, I mean, I've said all along, this is not a team that was constructed to beat Golden State. I think they probably still beat Memphis. But, you know, round two, you know, against Houston, I think could be it could be very interesting. And it's going to take a lot of Kawhi for them to win that series. Kawhi just is going to have too much on his plate in the Houston series where they're able to pass the ball around so much. It's like with the Grizzlies, you can understand, you know, it, it's Conley or Gasol and, and, you know, those pivot points. But I know it's a centralized focus with Harden, but the way they move the ball, I just – it's gonna be it's gonna be trouble for the Spurs, and it's it's gonna be too big of a task for Kawhi to take on by himself. It just it just doesn't work with a team like the Rockets. You know, some other teams, specifically teams out east, you can say, well, this one really good defender uh, could shut down an an entire team, but that just can't be said for Kawhi if he's going up against the, the Rockets. So it's you know, sure, I'll give the edge to the Spurs over Memphis, but again. The Rockets are are on a crash course for the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, right. and I think we're all elated about that. Yeah, I, I think this is. You know, I don't know if people are taking these these warning signs seriously enough with with San Antonio. You know, it's like, well, Memphis is. You know, ever since Fisdale's speech, you know, they've been so fired up. It's been a great environment. It's like these are the Spurs. Like the Spurs, this is not a very good Grizzlies <laughs> team right now. Like the Spurs won sixty one games during the regular season. Memphis is starting James Ennis and Vince Carter. Yeah, on this Selden team. at points. Wait, Wayne, yeah, Wayne right. Selden, Troy Daniels, Harrison. Aaron Harrison is yeah. playing. Andrew Harrison, excuse me, played twenty minutes in this game. Like, it's not like the Grizzlies, you know, are this juggernaut team by any means. And like Conley and Gasol, they've been great. But even in Game Four, you know, Gasol was only five of twelve from the field. Randolph was four of twelve. Like. It's not like they've been getting these Herculean performances that mm-hmm. you know San Antonio just kind of has to say like, well, there's nothing we could do. It's like, no, you should be easily winning this series. And you know, like I said, outside of Kawhi, nobody has really put together a good all-around series for the Spurs, which is very, very concerning. Yeah, right. no surprise. But I will say, uh, still a favored destination for veteran free agents yes. so maybe like a yeah. chris paul or something like that who really want to do make a run for the yeah. championship um better than your lamarcus aldridge's right they need to retool uh, in a big way this offseason i think they will they always do clippers jazz this one's 2-2 go bears back he's it doesn't sound like he's really going to be limited much at all in game five tonight as we know blake's done for the postseason I don't know what to think about this one. Like again, the Clippers still have the best player. DeAndre Jordan is still very good, although he was very ineffective in Game Four. Um, but it, it does feel like things have kind of swung now back toward the Jazz as the Clippers lose one of their major pieces. The Jazz get one of their major major pieces back. Gordon Hayward only played nine minutes in, in that last game, and the Jazz are still able to win. Um, so I mean, it, I, I don't know what to expect. I really don't. I. I think this is probably the most unpredictable series left and the one that I feel least confident in predicting. I there's <laughs> you know just just bless the Clippers, Chris Paul and company, Doc Rivers, DeAndre Jordan. I don't know how mentally they can overcome this and you know they they've been tested more so than any other team out there when it comes to unfavorable hands in the playoffs, but I don't know how you can muster up the mental strength 
um, to go out there and really compete toughly against the Jazz, knowing that the Warriors are around the edge or, you know, around the corner. So I, you know, I, I would still like to think that the Clippers are the better team, the more experienced team. Um, but I don't think it can be understated that their unfortunate future, regardless of this series, is is just looming against the Warriors. So I, I don't know. I just I think it's hard to get up when you know the end is going to happen after the second round, no matter what. Yeah, I I think you know whatever team wins the series will talk themselves into you know we can beat this team. We'll be the team to knock them off, and then it'll be a lot like this Portland series where it's just over very quickly and it's painless. Um, but I mean, as far as this series, Gobert for being presumably limited, you know, after what, what was still somewhat of a serious knee injury, 15 points, made all six of his shots, 13 rebounds, two blocks. Um, you know, they, they rebounded 86% of the Clippers misses in this game. They were plus 22 points in the paint. Um, I don't know. It, it feels like this is it for the Clippers. Like, it, you know, every year there's some, some sort of injury like this, something goes haywire. And as soon as that Blake news came out, it was just like, well, it's only a matter of time. If they if they win this series, we know they're not winning the next series. And I don't know I don't know where they go from here. You know. All right. Well, let me ask you some quick questions because this is pretty fun because we know that the Clippers aren't going to get past the Warriors. Chris Paul has a player option, twenty four million dollars. Does he uh, opt into no. that or opt out? He opts out, hundred percent, like no question. Top three destination, San Antonio. I think the Clippers are number one. I mean, he he negotiated the CBA so he could opt out. Like right. that's literally like he's not going to opt in. Yeah. Um. So I think the Clippers are still number one because they can offer the most money and will offer those the most money. San Antonio Spurs, is going to people yeah. are going to whisper San Antonio. They would have to do some things cap wise to make that work. I mean that would that would signal a new you know a, a big regime change. Yes. For the Spurs, like things would be. That would be a big shakeup. So, but I as think we the, talked I, about, that's what needs right. to happen. I mean, the, so. I, right, the idea of that I think is is fun, but it's you know it would be a big deal for that to happen. Obviously, you know Simmons says the Bucks. That's not going to happen. The Bucks are not quite ready for that. And is it all about winning for Chris Paul? Like he needs to reach a breaking point, I guess, for him to go to the Spurs and take that pay cut, right? Because I just don't see him specifically negotiating the CBA to work in his favor mm-hmm. as far as his age and then leaving that money on the table, you know? At this point in his career, he might be content with just taking the money and playing in Los Angeles, California. And that might be good enough for him, you know. You would like to think that he's going to ring chase. Like, we actually do want that for him. In this case, somebody who's never gotten there before, uh, as a veteran who's arguably one of the best two-way point guards of all time, we do kind of want him to, you know, just go for the championship or even play in a final. So I just play once. So I think it'd be really fun if he went to the Spurs. You're not going to see a lot of backlash like KD going to the Warriors or anything like that. It's a little different case. But I would agree it's Clippers 1, Spurs 2, and then anything after that would just surprise me and shock me unless unless Boston moved on Isaiah Thomas, brought in Jimmy Butler, and then also reached yes. out to Chris Paul. Like, that seems somewhat likely to me. Other than that, I think it's just mm-hmm. kind of guessing. Yeah, I don't know the legality of that one. That w- that's a very interesting situation. Um, I mean, in that scenario, Boston could sign Chris Paul outright. Um, right. But you could also conceivably work some sort of sign and trade with that pick or with the other Nets pick. I think um, sign and trade is different now where 
I, I wish I knew more about that off yeah, the top of my head. I'll I, look into that. But pretty sure it's different now where that it doesn't work like it has in the past. Right. But either either way, like, you know, Boston could end up with Chris Paul, Jimmy Butler, and still the Brooklyn Nets. Or mm-hmm. not they would well, have I mean, to like, give, I don't like yeah. you said, it's new C B A now, but like when LeBron you know, LeBron going to Miami was technically a sign and trade. So it's like if you could work some sort of deal like that, again, I don't know if that is actually something you can do. Um, you know, I, I think that's something the Clippers would have to consider and obviously something the Celtics would want to consider. The only thing about that is you would have two separate timelines going because like the rest of this Boston roster, I don't know is quite ready to compete unless you're able to also add, you know, Jimmy Butler or Paul George or whoever. Um, because, you know, assuming you still have a lot of these young guys, you would still probably have one of those net picks, at least one. If you sign Chris Paul outright, you still have both you know, you're bringing along this young team that is on like a five or seven year timeline, whereas Chris Paul only has, you know, three or four really, really good years left. Yeah, that's all fine. All right, next one here. Blake Griffin, player option 21. Again, same thing. Turns it down. Turns it down. Top destinations. What do you think? I think the Clippers are also number one for him. I think the Clippers are going to try to resign Paul Griffin. Um, You know, OKC has been whispered a lot. I don't, Blake has never has Blake ever given any indication that he like wants no. to go home. I think We're, that's just like a hey, yeah. he went to college there. He's from there, which you know in a lot of cases is a good argument. But for Blake, I don't know that it applies. I mean, the Lakers are going to be in play if they can find the the cap room. Um, I don't know. It's tough. I mean, is Boston an option with Blake? Yeah, of course. I think what's funny is that I wouldn't be totally surprised if Blake and Chris is like, you know, let's uh, let's go to Boston. Maybe they can add a Gordon Hayward, add a Jimmy Butler, and then really give that a go. Um, well, I mean, both of them can't go there. I, Not as currently. I mean, they can't pay two maxes. They might be able to. No. You sure? Yes. How? I mean, well, how they would, would essentially that be giving. They would essentially be giving whatever. You know, if they wanted to resign Isaiah Thomas, they would just give that to Chris Paul instead. And I mean, IT is still on the books next year. Well, if they traded IT, yeah, I mean, they would, they could they could like gut the roster and then do that, which you know is a scenario, I guess. Yeah, I I mean, I think Boston could be the new destination where you have you know people taking veteran minimums who normally their market price would be a lot more. Yeah. And I you know these guys talk and they say, well, if you take this, I mean, it's just it's it's Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, and LeBron James. Going yeah, but to those Miami. guys weren't taking vet minimums; they were taking like right. slightly no, below the I, max. I know, but I mean, I'm sure that that right. situation could be worked out. And Chris for Paul's too. under Chris Paul's under pressure to set the market for guys too. Right, you know, it's a bad look for him to negotiate that CBA and then you know sure. kind of and kind of do it like this so there are other factors i just like i'd just be surprised if he went anywhere else because Mm -hmm. it does seem like boston might have the best shot i don't know we're kind of we're kind of too deep in this but we'll see i mean this will heat up again come july after the draft and that's when it'll get a lot more interesting we need to wrap this up because as you can see i'm dying over here i have my shirt pulled halfway up ah it's so warm all right well three games tonight all western conference get some quick picks okay see houston houston definitely okay uh clippers jazz jazz and spurs grizz Mm. spurs win the next two okay you uh i'm with you on all those but i I think i think memphis sends it to seven spurs win in seven all right fair enough we'll see what happens
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.